Hey guys, welcome to Building Home, an expat podcast with me and I, Richard Scalione. Get comfortable and I hope you'll stay a while. I always knew I wanted to incorporate some book recs in this podcast because, well, that's one of my favorite ways to wanderlust and explore new places. Through books, since I was a child, I've explored a secret garden in the UK, renovated a Riyadh in Morocco, did a CIA mission in West Africa. So stories about people being out of their comfort zones, expats, always pique my interest. Today, I wanted to chat with you about the novel Black Cake by Charmaine Wilkerson, a New York Times bestseller and one of Barack Obama's favorite books of 2022. It's the kind of book I read and think this, something like this is what I want to write. Charmaine Wilkerson would fit in quite well here on our expat podcast, and I've actually interviewed her before. You'll hear that interview from 2022, and there's a link to it via the show notes. It was on IG Live. One of my favorite ongoing partnerships is being a Random House partner. I get a book selection each month with a preview of some incredible books from amazing authors. In September of 2021, the title Black Cake came in my inbox for October's reads. It was almost a West Indian diaspora dog whistle. Immediately, I emailed the PR team. I'm so excited for the title Black Cake in this month's request. It's such a staple in the West Indian community. My family's West Indian. I'd love to do a review in partnership with you guys. And I went on to show other partnerships that I incorporated Black Cake, the food, into in the past. Black Cake is a Jamaican, all throughout actually the West Indies, holiday staple. It's a Caribbean fruit fruit cake soaked in rum, port wine. I actually still remember the bottles of my grandma soaking fruits in her kitchen. Trust me, it's way better than any fruit cake you've ever tasted. As my husband and I said recently, candied fruit in those normal cakes are definitely of a particular generation. Black cake isn't like that. My mom makes black cake for my father-in-law every year. And black cake, with all of its ingredients, is expensive AF to make. (laughs) My father-in-law pointed that out as I told him the ingredients and preparation. It's definitely made and shared with love. I always take an extra piece of black cake to go during my family Christmases. My Uncle Fitz and Aunt Marcy always point out the good one. People reminisce about my late cousin Sandra's amazing cake. Black cake is family. Black Cake is home. After I received Charmaine Wilkerson's title in the mail and devoured it, I followed up with another email. Hi everyone, I hope all is well. I've just finished the title, October's title, Black Cake, and I absolutely loved it. I'm Jamaican American with my family in the Jamaican diaspora of New York City, Toronto, and London, and I happen to live in Northern Italy with my partner. With every page I turned, it felt like Charmaine was chatting with me. I'm about to start baking black cake with my mother for the holidays, and I passed the book on to her. I know that you guys occasionally have lives with authors, and I'd love to host a Q&A with Charmaine. Maybe we can even do it live in Italy, depending on where we both are. Though the book says it's out on 12-1-22, I thought I'd get this on your radars now. It's, that's fast approaching. What do you think? So I went on and on. <laughs> You see, not only did I relate to the book, but Charmaine herself, who over the last year and a half has become a friend from afar. 
you'd be surprised how small the world is. Charmaine Wilkerson is originally from New York, an alumna of Bard College and Stanford University. She spent much of her childhood living in Jamaica and sometime as an adult living in Los Angeles. She currently lives in Rome, where she has been living for over two decades, and in New York. She spent much of her career as a journalist. You see why I'm kind of obsessed with her? <laughs> and this novel is about to be a series, you guys, acquired by Oprah Winfrey's Harpo Films. In her debut novel, Charmaine takes us on a beautiful tale through three countries, family trials, and there's even a murder mystery. The best kind. <laughs> Here's this official summary. Byron and Benny haven't seen each other in years. Now these estranged siblings must set aside their differences to deal with their mother's hidden past. When their mother, Eleanor, dies in California, they are left with a puzzling inheritance, a traditional Caribbean black cake, and a voice recording whose contents will change Byron and Benny's lives. Will hearing their story help them to repair their broken family bonds and resolve their own struggles with identity? Or will they end up feeling more lost than ever? Theirs is a journey of discovery that takes them from the Caribbean to the UK and back to California. This is a story of how the inheritance of betrayals, secrets, memories, and even names can shape relationships and history. In the beautiful way that many authors do, this island, that in my head is definitely Jamaica, could be any island in the Caribbean. But... There were some cultural references that really hit the nail on the head, like Lin and his family's history and the Chinese in Jamaica. The idea of building home and the immigrant experience from the U.S. to the U.K. is heavily featured in the story. Do you guys remember the Windrush scandal in 2018? I was in the UK dating Michele at the time and my now husband, Mr. Jerk Chicken Truck in East London at lunchtime and I connected over explaining to him the UK's colonization, why that jerk chicken truck was there and the indignities of the Windrush scandal. I'm gonna leave a BBC article explaining the Windrush scandal and the Windrush generation in the show notes. When the UK needed people and a workforce after the Second World War, the Empire Windrush, the ship that brought one of the first groups of West Indian migrants to the UK in 1948. The British Nationality Act in 1948 gave citizens of the United Kingdom and colonies status and right of settlement in the UK to everyone who was at that time a British subject by virtue of having been born in a British colony. The act and encouragement from the British government campaigns in the Caribbean countries led to a wave of migration. Between 1948 and 1970, nearly half a million people moved from the Caribbean to Britain, which in 1948 faced severe labor shortages during the wake of the Second World War. Those who came to the UK around this time were later referred to as the Windrush Generation. Working age adults and many children traveled from the Caribbean to join parents or grandparents in the UK or traveled with their parents without their own passports. Home office in the UK was very loose about keeping track of who was coming in and when as the islands were a part of the Commonwealth. In 2010, it destroyed landing cards belonging to Windrush migrants. 
Because they came from British colonies that were not independent, they believed themselves to be British citizens. Fast forward to Theresa May's hostile environment policy, where administrative and legislative measures to make staying in the United Kingdom as difficult as possible for people without leave to remain in the hope that they may voluntarily voluntarily leave. In 2012, Home Secretary Theresa May said the aim was to create a really hostile environment for illegal immigrants. So the Windrush scandal broke in April 2018. It saw that the UK government apologized for deportation threats made to Commonwealth citizens' children. Despite living and working in the UK for decades, many were told that they were there illegally because of a lack of official paperwork. People were fired from jobs, denied NHS treatment, in the worst cases, deported. I listened to horrible stories at the time of people being deported to the islands that they left when they were toddlers, infants, places that they hadn't seen in close to 50 years. There are more than 500,000 UK residents who were born in a Commonwealth country and arrived before 1971, according to the University of Oxford estimates. The influx ended with the 1971 Immigration Act when Commonwealth citizens already living in the UK were given indefinite leave to remain. After this, a British passport holder born overseas could only settle in the UK with both a work permit and proof of a parent or guardian being born, or grandparent, sorry, being born in the UK. Just so you know, Jamaicans and Indians are amongst the largest population of non-UK nationals in the UK. Do yourself a favor and check out that BBC article. There are some really great videos. Two other shows slash films I would recommend that speak to this experience are Amazon Prime's Small Axe and the BBC's <laughs> Call the Midwife. That's just a favorite of my mom's. Small Axe is a British anthology film series created and directed by Steve McQueen. The anthology consists of five films that tell distinct stories about the lives of West Indian immigrants in London from the 1960s to the 1980s and Call the Midwife looks at midwifery in the 1950s East London. A lot of West Indians became nurses then. You'll see how this ties into Blackgate. <laughs> anyway, I could talk about this forever and that immigrant experience from the West Indies to the UK is only a fraction of Blackgate's story. But I guess you can say my favorite subplot? Wilkerson's prose highlights the perseverance it took for this generation of people to build a home in this new and sometimes cold place. Have a listen to our interview. Always attracted to the theme of speaking of home, during the live, I get into the idea of finding home and building a home during my time in the UK and finding that slice of the Caribbean when looking and looking for it in Italy. Charmaine chats with us about the similarities in finding home in different cultures between Italy and the Caribbean, the way the people gather, the matriarchy, Charmaine even cues it up for my usual guest question on expat versus immigrant. This interview, I guess, stayed in my memory bank, and it's certainly one of the building blocks of our podcast here, Building Home. I hope you enjoy it. It's also available visually on Instagram. Hi, everybody. How's it going? Good morning. Good afternoon. Hello. Hello. 
How Good morning. It's great to see you. Great. I love those colors. It's gorgeous. Thank Very you. black cake. <laughs> I love it. I was like, I'm going to go for it today. Thank you. How are you? Excellent. Are we I'm doing fun. Are you in Rome? I am in Rome. And, you know, I think that's amazing, the connection that you and I have. And what a coincidence that we both are from the United States and live between the U.S. and Italy. And then the Caribbean connection, you should say more about that. Absolutely. So hi, everyone. This is Charmaine. I'm so excited. How do I pronounce your name? Charmaine. Charmaine. What's the emphasis on? No, really the way you said it was perfect. Okay, perfect. And hi, everyone. I hope it's I'm so excited to chat with Charmaine Wilkerson today. Um, I am a Random House partner, and when I saw the title Black Cake on the list, I emailed them right away. This was back in the fall, and I, it was about you being a West Indian American writer living in Italy. The title alone stood out to me. Uh, I was just begging my mom about starting her Black Cake early. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so I, I had to email Random House Writer. I was like, this is the book for me. I can't wait to read it. And as I like leave through the pages, I felt like you were speaking directly to me. And so thank you so much for this title. Thanks to you for reading this. I'm, I'm really honored. And uh, it's also exciting to hear from someone who can identify with that. There's the book. And it's interesting because a lot of people have been writing from, um, you know, people from different cultural traditions mm -hmm. saying that they identify with this. And it's amusing to me, Nea, because I um, did not set out to write a book about black cake. I did not set out to write a book about a cake, even. I was really writing about the power of, um, you know, writing about family, identity, home, and the power of stories mm -hmm. to shape our identities both when they're told and when they are not told. And the food comes in because food is a great carrier, isn't it, of identity, of tradition, of stories, of emotion. It's, I, I think you're absolutely right. I love that from generation to generation and seeing how that recipe was passed down. I think we, so many people can relate. We all have stories about those recipes, even if it's not as prominent in the family that certain flavors will take you back to a place or a person. And so reading that, reading the di different characters and, and falling in love with each of them. So you mentioned you did set out to write a book about Black Cake. Was it one of the characters that you wanted to evolve? I know you, you were a writer, a journalist before, and this is your debut novel, actually. So I wanted to know who, which one of these characters really was calling to, for their story to be told and developed. Well, I tend to um, start writing in scenes. Sometimes it's a character and sometimes it's a feeling. And so the very first thing that came to me was this feeling of what it would be like to be a young person, specifically a woman, two girls on the cusp of womanhood who were extremely powerful, uh, had a strong connection to the natural world, saw their lives differently from other people in their community and their family, and what would happen to them. And so it began really the first scene I wrote before I knew I was writing a novel. I didn't know what I was writing. Has these two girls swimming out in the sea. And you know that those two girls end up being 
these two characters in the past yeah. because Black Cake is a novel that is multi-generational and it takes place between the past and the present. So you have these two swimmers out in the sea in the 1960s um, off the coast of a Caribbean island and the fact that they are so strong-willed and even risk-takers and physically very strong and see their lives um, in a different way. You know, they're running up against the expectations and stereotypes of other people. Mm -hmm. uh, they, their lives will be changed completely by this fact, this connection to the sea. Mm -hmm. And um, that's where it started. Now, again, I write in scenes. You know, I was day jobbing and working in communication for clients. And so I would write when I could, mostly in the morning. And I would just write things that I thought were going to be stories. And I was also writing about Benny. And then came Byron. And all of a sudden I looked and I thought, wait a second, I have a story. Because I'm still following those two girls in the past. Yeah. I'm still following and I realized they're all connected. That's but you have people in the past and the present. And then the cake. <laughs> then the cake. <laughs> the cake weaves it all together, which is amazing. The cake is the thread. The cake is the thread throughout the story. And I, I, I love that when you said Benny, it really, she was the character that really stood out to me that I know that as a writer, you can't pick your favorites, but she seems to be your favorite. <laughs> and, telling, and getting her story out there, we got so much development in her that I, I really loved. We saw it in Byron, but there was something about Benny. There was something about Benny that left us all rooting for her, all wanting to see her be the best, all thinking about her relationship with both her father and her mother. Um, yeah, we were really, there was something about Benny that we wanted to be extra gentle with. Well, because Benny is almost, she's a, uh, she seems to be such a contradiction. You know, she's this tall, beautiful woman who feels very secure in who she is. And yet, Benny spends much of the book just in great angst. She's upset. She's very needy of attention. She feels resentful. And she has struggled much of her adult life, again, because of the expectations and stereotypes of other people. And what that does is kind of mirrors the story of Benny and Byron's mother. You know, they all, they find out about this situation because um, their mother dies. Uh, she's a retiree, she dies, and they go home. They haven't talked for years. They haven't been getting along. They're forced to set aside their differences to deal with their mother's death and also figure out why she's left them the black cake. There you go, small black cake sitting in her freezer. And she leaves them this long voice recording. And that is when they begin to understand that her life was not as easy and stable as they thought it was because she really had a fairly comfortable life, worked outside of the home, raised two children, but she was a little different from the other moms. She was very athletic and loved extreme sports and loved you know, music videos. Uh, you know, She'd sit with her teenage kids when she was nearing 50. And so they remember this woman as being very charismatic and fun and playful, and she loved to bake cakes. But it was all pretty positive. You know, it all seemed fairly easy, except that her parents were, their parents were very demanding. So going back to this idea of what they find out, suddenly all of their assumptions are out the door. Yeah. And Benny's personal struggles in the present day 
sort of mirror what they learn was happening to their mother in the past. Um, and it's not that they have the same problems in a literal sense, but they do have the same issue of feeling quite comfortable with who they are, yeah. but struggling against what other people want for them, what other people feel um, they should be doing with their lives. And so Benny is going to begin to see this. Yeah. And that's going to have an impact on how she feels about her life. Same thing with the brother, Byron. And I, I think one of the things that a lot of people related to it as the parent-child relationship with first-generation immigrant parents um, and that, that wanting to achieve um, on their behalf that they came um, and there's always like, well, they didn't come here for for nothing. <laughs> that's often the phrase that's really repeated. Um, and you, it's it's interesting because a lot of us, we, we don't really know everything that they went through because it's not something that's often talked about going deep into our parents, our grandparents' past, um, past, yeah, trials and traumas that they went through. And so I think that that's also why Black Kate touched a lot of people because they are seeing, well, this could have been my grandmother's story and I would have had no idea because it's just not something that we all discussed. Um, and so I wanted to get into with that with, um, I know my followers, they love travel. And one of the other things I loved about this book is that you get to travel and your beautiful description of these places. Um, I had in my mind that the island was Jamaica. Did you ever say it was in the book? The book is um, in the island is not named in the book. Okay. And as I was writing it, I had not named it. And at a certain point, I thought, well, I just won't because yeah. uh, just to clarify, I, I um, you will see some historical details that are true, mm -hmm. but the story is somewhat fable-like in the past, so that locations are sort of put together. There isn't any one thing that is not fairly correct about that location, but things are collapsed. Mm -hmm. Ideas are sort of, um, uh, they're sort of amplified. And so you ask about the island, the locations and the historical facts that are cited in the novel do refer specifically to that island, Jamaica. But the island is never named because in this story, the the son and the daughter, Byron and Benny, really have this sort of foggy view of their parents' lives. They, they didn't even realize how much they did not know. And so it was sort of this choice to leave it that way, to always leave it as, because the power of the place is not which country it is, mm -hmm. so much as how did they live? Mm -hmm. How did this country or this existence relate to the lives in other places and um, the importance of agriculture, which comes into the story of the black cake, the importance of surfing and swimming, yeah. the, the uh, climate. It is specific to one island, and yet the idea was to evoke a feeling, mm -hmm. you know, a feeling of what it was like to live under those circumstances. Does this make sense? It's not about that island, it's about who those people are in Absolutely. that setting. Absolutely. I think because you didn't mention the island, it left me second guessing, like, wait a second. Well, it, it could be 
could it have been Trinidad or could it have been because of certain historical references as well and the black trait the, the black cake tradition and so it was really fascinating to to read and have a strong idea in my head but then second guess it as we as we go along and you know the idea of going to the UK the Windrush generation it wasn't concentrated on one island so I think it allowed more people to even see themselves in the story, see their um, forefathers in the story. So I, I really loved that. Yes, certainly the, the connections through colonialism and the language do matter. So you mentioned Trinidad, for example, um, because the, those, um, the people who moved, the people who left the island and ended up in the UK and then ended up in the US naturally did so because of political connections and language connections, historical connections. So they wouldn't have ended up, for example, in Portugal. Um, but, but yes, uh, the idea beyond that, the idea was to leave what happened in a bit of a fog. Because I don't know if you noticed that even at the end of the story, you reading the story still know more than Byron and Ben. Oh, yeah, that's so true. Yeah, that's we won't true. mention what you know, but you yeah. do know more than Byron and Benny even at the end of the story. And the idea of, yeah, and the their idea of this place that they, and, and that's also what I loved about it because they haven't been there with their parents. And it's something that I could relate to here that I had friends that, you know, were white American and they went more often <laughs> to where my family was from than I did. And so there was those really interesting ties that they have this idea of a place that maybe other people don't have. And so I, I, I really enjoyed that and how you weave that through the, the different characters and yeah, all of the characters that came to make up Byron and Benny and in all of the countries that they've been to. Um, and I know that you, you live in Italy now and you used to live in the UK or am I, am I incorrect? Well, no, I've, I've lived really in a number of different places in the US. I did actually live in Jamaica for a part of my childhood. I moved there from New York. Um, I've not lived in the UK, but um, like a lot of people, I have family members who moved there um, from the islands. I come from a multicultural family, so I would say the dominant culture definitely is Caribbean American. And so many of the stories um, that were told and some of the things that I saw for myself while living um, there help to feed details in the stories. And there's no doubt that although this, you know, Black Cake is not an autobiographical story, but there is no doubt that I could not have quite imagined this story or discovered characters because that's what happens. They come to you, you don't make them up, they sort of come along um, and discovered characters like that had that information not somehow been implanted into my, into my thinking. And, um, you know, it's interesting to see how many people who are not from that tradition identify with the story. And you talk about travel. Um, again, I've moved around, but not lived in the UK. And the fact that I've moved around a lot and come from a family where over two, three generations, probably no two people have had quite the same upbringing or even look very much alike really had an influence on the kinds of things that interest me. And that is, again, shifting concepts of home, 
family identity and how stories that are handed down from one generation to another really help to shape those. And then what happens when you find out you don't know the whole story? You know, this is happening also on a broader level. We're learning new things about what we call history. We're learning new things about what um, has been told at the broader cultural level. Yeah. Um, in the Black Cake, it's about this family and, and how everything's going to change. Yeah. But you've moved around a lot too. Yes, yes. I am. I was born and raised in New York City. And then I moved to London, uh, where I met my fiance, uh, ended up in Italy, Bergamo, where he's from. And yeah, so that's where we're living now between New York City and Bergamo. Um, and it's, it's, yeah, it's pretty incredible, the idea of moving and after your family has made this place home that they move to a next, another place. Um, and the idea of kind of starting that story over again and bringing those stories with you and trying to bring that piece of home because I would always say it's very easy to find influences of the West Indies in New York, uh, in London, and exactly. even gravitating, finding certain, those pockets in certain neighborhoods from Notting Hill to Brixton. But then it's also finding that in Italy, I was in Syracuse and we spotted a Jamaican restaurant in Sicily. Um, so that's, not, that's amazing. I'll have to look that up. And then for people who are from New York, who think we're talking about upstate New York, we're talking oh. about the the um eastern side of the island of sicily right yeah, Syracuse, yeah, Syracuse. Yeah. and I, I get a kick out of that because i like to joke that there are only three jamaicans in italy and that's an exaggeration yeah. but you know it isn't common to find it is not common to find people from the english-speaking caribbean yeah. living in italy for the same reason that it is common to find them in the uk or the us or canada Exactly. you know the language and the connections so so i have to i have to check out that restaurant you'll have to send me the information. it has great reviews too and then there's a, another place in milan but it's also i just love the idea of the sprawling diaspora and that idea that you meet someone in from toronto and you're like oh well me oh i actually have an example of that i was on a work trip in arizona and I, I it, she was, she's an influencer and she was a friend of mine. She stayed with me in Italy. And the more we're talking and discussing family last names, we're laughing. She, her sister does a 23 and me and we're second or third cousins. <laughs> and so small it's, world, small it's world. Just small world. It really is. Yeah, yeah. It really is. It's, it's interesting that having lived uh, in, in different cities and communities, I actually sometimes found similarities between what I can remember of some childhood years in Jamaica and life in small town Italy. Mm -hmm. that, that strangely, with, with really no cultural connection there, I found some similarities in the way people gather, um, in sometimes their expectations, um, <laughs> but the way in which they gather around food the way in which um, the matriarch uh, can be strong. Uh, it doesn't always seem that way, but she can be the boss. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, of a certain generation, obviously our generations have broken down a lot of the traditions already in just, you know, just between the grandparents and the current day young adults, things have changed. But it's interesting to see, you know, some, 
as they say, the more things, you know, that we talk about a small world, we have more things in common than we realize. Absolutely. I see a, just, as, as you said, so many similarities, especially with Southern Italians. And yeah, that the level of family gathering, the, the multi-generational family, even living in proximity living, I, I find that is, is very familiar to me. Um, and sometimes when I'm in, I, we're in the North, but when I go to Southern Italy, I, I love it. I feel like home, that it's more home than ever. So yeah, it's really fascinating. One thing I find interesting about people like you, for example, and I think like me as well is, you know, and this does happen to a couple of the characters in the novel Black Cake. I'm thinking of Eleanor. I'm also thinking of Lynn. And without saying what happens, both of these people experience this sense of, you know, they realize that there's no going back in your identity, that once you've moved mm -hmm. and once you've grown your life, including having children, your identity does shift. You may have a sense at the core of who you are. Mm -hmm. You, like Benny, who, who has a sense of who she is and what she wants, but is struggling to navigate the world around her to find her place and it's interesting to see that a couple of the characters realize that they are no longer one thing or the other they've yeah. become something new and maybe there's no definition for that yeah. i mean is there a definition for people who keep moving around who are not forced you know so many people are forced to move so many people are forced to move out of duress what happens to the people who maybe choose to move and they think it's all a choice and but how then, this country and how yeah, yeah and how and I think that reflects in a little bit about how Byron has seen the US and the opportunities and how he he I think adeptly plays the hand that he's dealt, maybe in a different way than his his uh partner. Um and I, I, I think that's a lot of Gibbs and Eleanor in him. And so it, it's really interesting seeing those dynamics and like you said, that once you learn different parts of your history, the different part that develops. I I love the inclusion I loved Lynn's story. I thought it was really wonderful because it's it's not a story that's not told often enough. It's still um the idea of Chinese Jamaicans still shock people, I think, <laughs> um, and just his family background and the the store and just his trials and tribulations with it all. I I really really liked his story. I don't know if I liked his character, but I really liked his character's story and the and the depth to it. And so it, I, I'm really happy that you just mentioned it because he's one of those people like mm, then. <laughs> So, yeah, so for people who haven't read, we won't say too much because yeah. Lynn causes a lot of trouble in this story. But Lynn is um, living in the past. He's one of the characters from the past in the 1960s. And I think what's interesting about Lynn is that he's, you know, he, he's just never giving up. He's always looking for a way. Exactly. And um, in a way, his daughter Covey, who's one of the two swimmers mm -hmm. in the past, is more like him than she would like to think. Yeah. You know, very uh, single-minded, a very strong vision, almost a little addicted to something. She's a little addicted to the swimming. You know, there's this drive. Um, and so it's interesting to see how some of her 
daring and some of her willing to take risks um, really reflects a bit on her father. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And do you find yourself, do you, do you see yourself in any of the characters or all of the characters or do you have imbued any of them, your characters in them? I would say all of the above, <laughs> or maybe not, because without a doubt, there is no one character that is me. Again, it's not autobiographical. There is no one character that is really anyone I know. But, you know, you, I steal a lot of details because details from life, things you see here, etc. But in terms of character, no, I, I would only say that one, the underlying theme, the idea of how do you form your identity? And who do you think you are? And how do you navigate the world based on that? And to what extent is what other people think of you part of your identity? You know, we don't want to think that way. We're supposed to think, I know who I am. But the truth is we live in the world. We live in the world. So what does that mean for a person? And also for people who move around a lot, where do you belong? Um, is it do we have to always say that we either belong to one place or we're a world citizen? Mm -hmm. I don't think there are any world citizens in the novel Black Cake. There are some people who've moved around. They are people who are attached to more than one place and feel they belong to more than one culture or in some cases more than one family. And who are they? Yeah. So I would say that that is something that's always in the back of my mind with which I, I don't know if it's right to say I identify, but yes, it's in the back of my mind because this is something I see in my own right. path in life. Does that make sense for you too? Absolutely, being a part of more than one country and feeling at home in more than one place. And yes, you kind of split, it's, it's, it's a beautiful thing, it's a hard thing. Sometimes you're splitting your heart in multiple pieces. And, and I think it's, and you see that in the novel and they all, have that and and carry it around whether they make it their burden or their gift it's really beautiful and you kind of see uh benny's transformation in doing so and so it's it's really wonderful oh thank you so much for your time today thank you it was yeah. great speaking to you and thanks for reading black cake oh i absolutely everyone should where should they get it where where is your favorite your favorite bookstore if you want to plug that or anything like that well i i really believe my favorite bookstore is the one that's closest to me or closest to someone to whom i want to send a book and um i do love the indie bookstores because you know you walk into these stores and there's a history and there's a life but you know what i don't really discriminate i love bookstores <laughs> and i love i was going to say this libraries oh, so yes yeah. i should be i should be saying buy my book but i also say borrow my book <laughs> i love libraries i love the library i have a piece of black cake here oh I, it's wonderful oh it smells so good i don't have a fork so i can't even start eating it but my mom made it for her birthday <laughs> oh you see there you have it did she send it to you did she or is she near you She's near now, and so we, but when I went to Italy, I did bring, so I bring some for my fiance's dad, particularly, he loves it, 
and we recently found out his best friend loves it because he tried it. And so we're having a growing contingent of Northern Italian That's black wonderful. lovers. And one of the things his dad said that I want to remember is when we're telling him everything that's in it, he goes, oh, wow. That's an expensive cake. Yeah, I have my jar of fruits at home and, you know, and then I have replenish it and um, and it is a big deal. It took me a long time to figure out how to get it as dark. You know, obviously it's not actually a black cake, but it's very dark. Yes. And it took me a long time to get a cake as dark as yours or as dark as my mother's because oh. the idea for the black cake in the story um, came from the fact that my mother made a legendary black cake and a younger relative of mine texted me on my cell phone to ask me for the recipe. And it started me thinking about, you know, connections, food, yeah. stories, tradition, nostalgia. Oh, and wow. then that opened up into the story of the cake. Yeah. So, oh, wow. um, and I love that it, you know, it goes from in the story that that written tattered recipe to you're getting a text about it. And okay. the idea of this screenshot of, of what I imagine to be a tattered recipe page. I love that. Well, thank you for showing me that wonderful black cake. Nostalgia, nostalgia. <laughs> thank you. I'm probably going to go and read the book again and as I read and have my coffee this morning. And eat. Uh, All right. Thank you well, so much great for talking your time. To you. And, thank you for having and me. And let everyone know where they can find you and follow your stories, your and just everything going on with you. I've I'm a huge fan girl and I want everyone else to be too. <laughs> oh, thank you. So very briefly, I'm on Instagram, obviously. And um, I, and I'm also on Twitter. And um, in terms of bookstores, the fact that I live in Italy, the books are starting to arrive in Italian bookstores as well. So that's exciting. Oh, in, a, in Italian language? First in English, the English language books are arriving and eventually it will be published in Italian. But oh. for now, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about the English speaking community. And again, libraries, bookstores, whatever works for you, whoever you wish to support. But it's true that a lot of the smaller bookstores were struggling, you know, during the pandemic. And it's so exciting to see them have their doors open and books uh, piled up and people walking in. So, oh, And I love getting people books as presents. I think it's such a, a thoughtful, great present to give someone a hard copy of a book. So... Yeah, check out your local bookstores. And thank you everyone for joining us today, this afternoon, this morning, wherever you are, have a good piece of black cake today and have fun. Thank you so much, Charmaine. Thank Bye. you, my dear, bye-bye. To quote Charmaine, there's no going back on your identity. Once you've moved and once you have children, your identity does indeed shift. As you might know, that's something I'm grappling with now. Oh, it kind of gave me the chills how much life aligns reading Charmaine's book, our IG Live, this podcast, and her words all coming back to me at exactly the right time for me to hear it. Thank you for listening to Building Home, an expat podcast with me, Anaya Richard Scalione. See you guys next time and leave a five-star review, comment, like it, share, all the things.